Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now updating scroll detection software. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the premiere episode of Marvel's Secret Invasion. Plus, we're giving you our predictions for AEW's Forbidden Door. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tier's benefits as well. That's right, Christian. We have over 20 Best and the Worst of the Week episodes up. And we also have Better Late Than Never reviews for things like Season 2 of The Bad Batch, uh, Megan, and men along with anime reviews you can find our patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned all right, up first, it looks like the MCU is skipping this year's San Diego Comic-Con. Coming late July this year is San Diego Comic-Con, where yearly many of the big studios show off what is coming next for some of the biggest franchises in cinema and TV. But this year, it seems Disney Marvel will be opting out of doing a big Hall H presentation like they have in previous years. Industry insider Umberto Gonzalez claims that due to the ongoing writer strike and potential actor strike that could be an effect at the end of the month, Marvel Studios will be skipping Hall H, but will still have a presence on the show floor. Yeah, I mean, this only makes sense with all the recent delays and, you know, obviously the ongoing writer strike. I mean, they probably don't have anything to really show off at this point. Yeah. And they don't want to announce shit that they can't fucking actually deliver on. So, I mean, I get it. Why paint yourself in a corner when, you know, you're not quite sure what the future holds at this point. I mean, I'd honestly be surprised if there's any studios doing something big at uh, San Diego Comic-Con this year. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, Christian. Actually, uh, Universal and HBO have both pulled out also. So um, Marvel's definitely not alone. And I'm sure the reasoning behind it is, you know, very similar to Marvel's. Like, we don't actually know what the hell's going on right now. They probably don't have much actually in production, so it's hard to really hype up stuff when, you know, right now with the writer strike, there's really no end in sight, which is scary to say. I mean, I said it last week, I was surprised that Marvel even bothered making an announcement about the delays or at least like putting dates, you know, new dates on these releases instead of just kind of like, you know, doing the whole like TBD, you know, uh, mm -hmm. routine because how can they commit to anything at this point? It almost feels foolish to do so. So, um, you know, because I have a feeling that they're going to be making more announcements soon when it comes to all their TV series. And who knows when the writer's strike is going to actually, you know, get worked out or, you know, because right now we're even hearing that the actors might strike. Yes. Um, now, a lot of insiders are saying that if the actors do strike, that it might actually finally force the studio's hand like that would be the straw that breaks the camel's back um i hope if that happens that's the case um but everything's just in flux right now 
I don't know what the point is to like, you know, kind of handcuffing yourself to another, you know, release schedule when you don't know if you're going to actually be able to like deliver at the end of the day. Well, speaking of release dates being in flux, uh, it looks like we've got an update for the upcoming Spider-Man spinoff film, El Murto. The Hollywood Reporter stated this week, while Sony's Spider-Man spinoff, El Murto, starring Bad Bunny, may have been halted due to the writer's strike, casting is still underway, with sources claiming former WWE superstar Mercedes Fernando, aka Mercedes Monet, was in the running for a role in the film. What that role may have been has been unclear, and if she's still going to be able to have a role in this film is kind of up in the air right now as we don't know when things will get into production along with the fact of her future you know wrestling bookings potentially getting in the way but it is clear that mercedes is interested in continuing an acting career after her you know performances in the mandalorian but on top of that there is no new release date for el murto just yet so we'll have to see what happens when it happens yeah people are kind of speculating whether or not this film is actually going to happen at this point um <laughs> So, because they lost the date and then they didn't bother announcing a new one. But it might be a case of what I was just kind of talking about, like, why bother, you know, announcing a date at this point? Um, or they, you know, figured out that no one wants to see this fucking movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just me. I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I don't know. This just sounds like a horrible idea. Mercedes needs to find herself new agents or, you know, obviously she didn't see Venom 2 or Morbius. <laughs> because there's no way she would, you know, even think about, you know, starring in this movie. I'm sure it was a case of like, yeah, get me into some type of Marvel project now that I've done a Star Wars project. Like, and no, no, no. This is the wrong Marvel, <laughs> Mercedes. <laughs> you want to do the other side of the fence, uh -huh. you know, the Kevin Foggy Marvel, not the Sony Marvel. It's not the same thing. Oh, and also, while El Murto's date is up in the air, uh, there's word that the sequel to Across the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, could be delayed as well. This would be due to all the major complications with production after losing many animators during what they say were some grueling conditions that the animators were put through during the you know, whole process for Across the Spider-Verse, which was all highlighted in a report by the Vulture's Chris Lee. Um, their sources say that it may be near impossible for Beyond the Spider-Verse out in 2024. The report further goes to explain that little to no work has actually even begun for animating this third installment, as all the team had already been struggling to push out across the Spider-Verse. It seems highly unlikely to get a film the quality that Across the Spider-Verse is, especially in its animation alone, done in like the next six to nine months. As Beyond the Spider-Verse, I believe, was set for spring or sometime around March of next year. While I'd personally be disappointed in having to wait, I also would, I think, hate a lot more not getting something anywhere near the same quality as Across the Spider-Verse, which, you know, personally was a visual masterpiece. So if Sony needs to push this back a year or more, I'll understand. It just sucks that it's so tied together with this second film, story-wise. We also got some Star Wars news this week. There was a bit of a plot summary that dropped for Charmin Obeyed Chinoy's Star Wars film through Production Weekly, which states the film is set 15 years after Rey's victory over Palpatine and the end of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Um, the sequel delves into Rey's courageous endeavor to restore the Jedi Order, where she assumes the role of mentor to two promising young students a girl and a boy. As their training progresses, it becomes evidence that the girl 
possesses extraordinary abilities destined to emerge as a future leader. Um, now, this is... Now, this does come from a source that is outside of Disney and Lucasfilm, so this isn't necessarily confirmed as the actual plot just yet. But we'll, of course, learn more from Lucasfilm when either a trailer or, you know, the next big event that they have happens. Moving on, it looks like we also have an update for the upcoming season five of Stranger Things. The final season of Stranger Things had an announcement during the Netflix Tudum event. That being horror action star Linda Hamilton of Terminator fame has been casted for the show. No word on, you know, who or what this character may be, but you have to imagine Vecna's in for some trouble if Linda's got a gun. Like most things, this show's production and release are up in the air due to the writer's strike. I mean... This casting makes sense. The Duffer Brothers have a penchant for casting 80s icons, so... And there's not many bigger than Linda Hamilton, so... Although the one thing I will say is, like, their casting never feels gimmicky. You know, even though, you know, there's obviously a trend in casting these, like, former, like, 80s stars. Um, you know, they're always well-utilized. Like, there's never, like, a throwaway role. Mm -hmm. Um... So you end up, they, they make you end up like falling in love with each one of these characters. So I'm sure it's going to be more of the same here. Well, lastly, from the event, uh, we also got some news for the upcoming season two of Wednesday. Um, so this one also came out of the Tudum event as Netflix revealed that season two of Wednesday is currently filming the second half of the new season. And while talking with the cast, they stated a new Adams family member would be making its way to the show in the later half, though at this time they are keeping in a secret who it might be. I'm going to guess it's probably Cousin It because we didn't have Cousin It in uh, season one at all. That's what I was like. I couldn't remember if Cousin It was in it or I not. I think Cousin It gets a mention, but we don't actually see Cousin It at all. Gotcha. So, um, unless they uh, go with the grandmother, right? Because mm -hmm. she was part of the cast in the films, right? I know at least the animated films, I think she's part of the cast. Yeah, not in the uh, live action ones. You know, it's, but, not, uh, it's not a major role. I No, I think she's in the live action ones, isn't she? No? I don't remember her in at least. Okay. I mean, it's, it's never a major role, so... Uh um but yeah otherwise i don't know who else it could be i mean i think the cast did bring up wanting to have the grandmother on the show but i don't know do we we got know, lurch that's right allude. yeah we got lurch yeah okay so i yeah it's got it's gotta be it's it. gotta be right right it's gotta be cousin <laughs> it also before we move on uh we got a teaser video for the upcoming season two of squid game um it was just more of a cast announcement though like a new cast member announcement uh like it was mostly footage from season one and then they showed all like the newest cast members making the choice mm. with the whole button gimmick um when they're actually playing the game i don't know i thought it was pretty cool but i mean i don't have the list of names in front of me right now so <laughs> Uh, I'm just excited that we're getting a season two. Uh, it looks like it's probably going to be coming out sometime in 2024. Well, Christian, also this week, we finally got the trailer for Craven the Hunter. I stared death in the face, and for the first time, I saw my true self. Tell me about this hunter. They say he uses a connection with animals to track his prey. And once you're on his list, there's only one way off. The six of us, there's only one of you. There's six of you now. So, I don't know, like, a while back when we first heard about this trailer, um, you know, they showed it at CinemaCon. 
uh, but we are getting like reports about it, um, you know, just brief summaries and people kind of like applauding it, talking about like how ultraviolet it was and everything. And, you know, talking about the surprise of, you know, Rhino being in the film. Um, I, I got myself pretty excited for this, you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to lie. Uh, but after watching this, you know, Red Band trailer, eh, I don't know. It just didn't really do much for me. I feel like we've seen this story before. Um, I've never been a huge Craven the Hunter fan, uh, you know, besides, you know, Craven's Last Hunt, like, you know, which is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time. Like, if you haven't read that, definitely, you know, check it out. But besides that, you know, arc, like, I've never really cared much about the character, you know, let alone, like, I've never found myself wanting a Craven solo film, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like... I don't know, like watching this thing, I was like, man, you know, this feels very similar to the Morbius, um, you know, trailer that we got, which I still haven't seen Morbius. So I don't know, like how similar it really is in the long run. But, you know, Craven has daddy issues. Um, he gets bitten by a radioactive lion, and it looks like um, I, I don't know what the fuck is going on there. But in the <laughs> comics, in fairness, in the comics, like he takes some like jungle potion voodoo shit you know, to get his enhanced abilities. Um, but here it seems like they're going with some kind of mystical lion, you know, story. Now Calypso is also in this trailer. So I'm guessing, you know, she's involved with, you know, him getting his powers maybe. Um, but yeah, that was kind of out of left field. Um, my guess is there's probably like a huge arc, like after he gets his powers where he hunts down the lion and that's like, you know, what his vest is. You know, because um, they make sure to like show like show this it, big yeah. moment with his vest on and everything. But even that wasn't like incredibly impressive to me. I mean, don't get me wrong; like this could end up being just a fun, like violent action film, which I'm all for. Like, kind of in the vein of like John Wick. Like, I mean, a dude does get his nose bitten off, you know, <laughs> in this trailer, and someone takes a bear trap to the head, which is pretty fucking mm. awesome. But besides those moments, like the film just felt like every other like Sony spinoff that we've seen, like Spider-Man spinoff that we've seen so far, which is just, I don't know, lackluster, honestly. Um, you know, for some reason, like Aaron Taylor Johnson, like not having an accent also bothered me a lot. Um, you know, like for me, like Craven has that like deep eastern european accents like yeah that's just part of the character like when i read the character in the comics you know he's got that thick accent so to hear him just sound like you know some white dude you know from the suburbs i don't know like it just felt off to me no that was that was like the moment that really hit me the moment we got you know to hear his voice for the first time in the trailer i was just like what why is this like this yeah what, what, but to get to your uh, point earlier about it was feeling like Morbius, I mean, this trailer almost plays identical in my eyes to that first Morbius trailer we got, where we see the transformation and then we see just like a killing spree from the character. Right. Um, and so that's why I'm getting very strong vibes of it being almost the same film. But it hopefully will be a fun action because we even see the bats like bite morbius right yes okay yes yeah. that's like it's, it's almost identical <laughs> and maybe they just have the same people making the trailer i don't know yeah yeah because i believe that's not like craven's origin story with the lion um 
I'm pretty sure it's like a potion or something that he takes, mm. unless somewhere down the line they've retconned that. I mean, back to the accent, too. Like, we know that, you know, Johnson could pull off a mean accent because we saw it in uh, Age of Ultron when he played. He fucking, does accents in multiple yeah, films, like, actually. <laughs> he played a great Quicksilver, honestly. Uh-huh. So and then like Russell Crowe is doing the accent he should have. You know, so I don't I don't know. It's it's very bizarre to me. Like, it's a weird choice at the end of the day. Um, I'm guessing his brother is going to end up being his half brother, who's the chameleon. Um, so I'm get, I, I'm guessing we're going to see his origin story kind of play out. I'm also terrified to see what the character design is for the rhino. I just have a feeling it's going to be a CGI mess. Um, I mean, that arm didn't look too bad, but I I don't know. I, I feel like it's going to look kind of like the lizard from Amazing Spider-Man, um, like the first one. Yeah, I, it's it's probably going to still end up being an upgrade from what they did with, you know, uh, the rhino in Amazing Spider-Man 2, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in the long run. But I don't know. Like, I just don't trust Sony with CGI. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a bad feeling there's a reason why we only saw his arm transform here. Um, but I don't know. Like, I could see this being a fun, violent action film, like I said. Um, but I don't have higher expectations than that um, for it, honestly. Because it just feels like a film no one really wanted. Um, you know, and really just another case of Sony, you know, trying to milk, you know, the Spider-Man cash cow dry. Um, you know, I mean, how many of these anti-hero films are we going to get with like Spidey's like, you know, rogues gallery? It also just feels like such a disservice to the character, um, you know, not having, you know, Spider-Man be part of his lore at this point. I mean, once again, like without like the Spider-Man of it all, I just don't know if I really care about Craven that much. And in fairness, they might be setting something up for the future, possibly. Uh, there is a moment in the trailer that pays homage to Craven's last hunt. Um, you know, the, there's a scene where you see all the spiders kind of dropping in on Craven. Um, but honestly, like, I would have been fine if they just told that story. Like, you don't need to do the whole origin story of Craven and everything like that. Like, just tell a good Spider-Man story. Um, you know, you have the rights to Spider-Man. I don't know, maybe they have an agreement with, you know, Marvel right now where, you know, we can't tell our own Spider-Man stories that are, like, out of continuity with, you know, the MCU. Um, but like, I would love to see that one day, you know, on film because it is a fantastic Mm -hmm. story. Um, it's just like, once again, I just, I I don't feel like I give a shit about Craven (laughs) (laughs) to get a whole fucking film about him that has nothing to do with Spider-Man. And that's what we're getting here. Um, I don't know. He's one of the last like interesting villains besides that one, you know, fantastic story arc. So I don't know. I feel like Madam Web will be Sony's answer to a lot of these issues where it's like if they had a spider, any any spider at this point in their universe, then they could start telling, you know, altered, you know, different versions of the story. Spider-Man but adjacent could, stories, exactly. you know, revolving around, you know, like their version of Spider-Girl. Exactly. I could see that, but I feel like Spider-Girl deserves better than that then. Like she has her own well, good yes. stories or Spider-Woman, whoever they choose to go with. Uh-huh. 
you know, I'm guessing that's probably the case, right? That, like, they probably can't do their own Spider-Man film, you know, while mm. Marvel, while they have their agreement with Marvel, you know, you know, for their usage of, you know, Spider-Man in the MCU. So, um, it is what it is. Now, we heard a while back that they were possibly thinking about doing, like, a Spider-Man series, like a TV, live-action TV series. But that, like, I haven't heard anything about that in, like, years, it feels like. Because that'd be a great place to tell this story. Um, you know, something that's, like, out of co continuity with the MCU. I mean, go for it. But, I don't know. Because the, the Craven's Last Hunt storyline, like, they're never going to tell that in the MCU. The, absolutely. It's way too dark of a story. You know, for what Foggy is doing over there. So, um, but it's an awesome story. Like I said, once again, like not a big Craven fan, but like definitely check out, you know, that book right now. I mean, they've collected and trade multiple times at this point. So it's one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time. I am hoping that they do go against the anti-hero route with this film, though. Like, I feel like with a tight, like a whatever, the caption being villains aren't born, they're made being able to like start off as anti-hero and ending on a villain note that's what i'm hoping for i know i'm not gonna get it yeah but i'm hoping for it at least <laughs> that's the big trend right now you know with hollywood is making all these like classic villains into anti-heroes we're seeing it you know on the other side of disney right i mean corella deville right she just got her own film a, a year or so ago so um, you know, I mean, this is a woman who is slaughtering fucking puppies, you know, and yes. then <laughs> they give her her own movie where she's, you know, the hero, the protagonist. <laughs> I mean, who knows, like, if we start, like, hearing, like, some, like, critical buzz surrounding this film, you know, maybe I'll check it out. But right now, for me, it's definitely a hard pass. You know, I'm going to take the bullet and watch it for oh, the absolutely. show. So. And I'm going to be like, Christian, did you see the film? <laughs> <laughs> we need a review this week. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm so excited for October 6th of this year. And now for the nerds review of episode one of Marvel's Secret Invasion. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. I stopped filing reports at the office. Don't know who I can trust anymore, other than you. Hey, Prescott, look, I'm here to help, okay? So, so let me take this, and I'll give the information to Fury, okay? The journey begins in Moscow, where we see Agent Ross meeting up with a fellow agent, Prescott, who claims he's uncovered a massive network of scrolls on Earth and that they plan on taking over the planet. He also goes on to explain that every major conflict over the last decade or so have been building tensions across the world to invoke a world war. Ross doubts that these allegations are true due to the skulls being known to work with, you know, Fury. But Prescott claims that the scrolls are working on their own now since it's been 30 years and Fury hasn't really kept his promise of finding them a new home. I thought this was a good introduction to what this series was about without feeling like a complete exposition dump. Um, you know, the use of Prescott here and like how unhinged he felt, um, you know, really just kind of made everything feel incredibly like dire. Um, you knew, though, like right away that Ross was absolutely a scroll here. Like, 
<laughs> they didn't try hard enough, I feel uh, like, to really hide that fact, which is totally fine. It's just more of a question of like, well, how long has Ross actually been a scroll? Um, you know, last time we saw him was in Wakanda Forever, uh, and he was being uh, rescued by Okoye after being like arrested by his former ex-wife, Valentina. Uh, so, like, was he actually a scroll there or, you know, somewhere after he was rescued? Is that when he was replaced? I'm hoping that we get some kind of like, you know, backstory or explanation, because uh, I think it would be re rather interesting if like the Ross that we like saw during Wakanda Forever wasn't actually Ross at all. Like it was a scroll the entire time, you know, trying to pull strings behind the scenes. I don't know if it would make much sense story wise, but I mean, if you think about it, like Ross was very quick to kind of like betray the United States <laughs> and just side with Wakanda. So, I mean, if you think about it, like Ross was very quick to commit treason. Like he's like disobeying like direct orders <laughs> in that film. And I know he has like close ties with Wakanda and everything like that, but it's not even like a second thought really. You know, <laughs> so I mean, maybe he was a scroll the entire time. I mean, a scroll with an in with the Wakandan nation would probably be incredibly valuable to their cause. Oh, absolutely. So. I mean, all that vibranium like sitting there uh -huh. and like, you know, that advanced technology. I mean, who knows what else he had access to, you know, during that period of time. So I mean, it'd be a huge like coup for the scrolls to, you know, infiltrate Wakanda. Prescott then presents evidence to Ross about the scrolls big plan here as he desperately needs Fury to come back to Earth and stop this. Prescott though, after sharing the evidence with Ross, quickly realizes he may have made a mistake and then attacks Ross not knowing if he's a scroll or not. Ross however gets a shot off before Prescott can kill him, which ultimately kills Prescott. Ross, now with the scrolls' plans, calls in help from Maria Hill as he begins to be chased by what seems like a Russian spy. The two parkour across the city until Ross misses a jump, landing right in front of Maria Hill's car. Hill, attempting to stop the person chasing Ross, finds out that it was Talos chasing him down the entire time, as Ross turns out to actually be a scroll here. So it was right around here where I was like, man, it's really cool that we're getting like Maria Hill you know, in this series and, you know, she'll get a lot of time to shine. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> that's not going to be the case at all. At least that's what it seems like. But we'll talk about that, you know, more later. Um, you got to wonder, too, like Maria's got to be, you know, freaking out because like how much like contact did she have with Ross before this? Like she's there to basically assist Ross. So, like, what has she divulged to him at this point? Um, exactly. You know, so it makes sense, you know, why she would reach out directly to, you know, Fury right after this, you know, regardless of what their relationship status is at this point. Honestly, I wouldn't have been mad if this entire opening sequence was like the entire episode, like the implications of what Prescott's saying and like having to try and you know make other people understand that there's scrolls everywhere setting up a world war and then having agents like ross not believe them i thought that would be a great concept to start off and then you have um you know fury show up at the end and we start off the series i thought that would be a pretty cool lead for it but you know i, I get trying to get the ball moving with a six episode series yeah i mean it sounds like each episode is going to be about an hour long um which mm -hmm. is good news um, but like for 
it being that long of an episode, it did kind of feel like they're breezing through a lot of stuff. Um, I agree where, like, it probably would have carried more weight, like, you know, the conspiracy and everything like that, if we actually got, like, kind of flashbacks to all the different attacks or some kind of, like, montage, you know, sequence mm -hmm. um, to see everything, like, kind of coming to fruition, um, you know. Uh, but, you know, I get it. Like you said, I mean, it is only a six-episode, you know, series. So they probably have a lot of story to tell within that, like, you know, time frame. So, um, you know, and we know that Marvel's kind of struggled with that in the past, you know, utilizing their time wisely. Mm -hmm. So I understand why, you know, they're kind of moving quickly, but it would help to let things breathe a little. Um, it would definitely add a lot of weight, you know, to what's going down. Fury then makes his return to Earth, meeting up with Talos in an apartment in Moscow. Talos, tending to a Skrolos plant, informs Fury of his wife Soren's passing and how she knew it would be events like these that would bring Fury back home. Fury tries to get right on into this mission, but Talos slows him down, asking him how he's been doing, since it seems like he's been different since the blip. On top of that, Talos explains what Fury has missed, claiming he was exiled by his people and his daughter left to follow Gravik, the new leader of the Scrolls, who shared in many Scrolls' feeling of abandonment when Fury and Danvers left them on Earth. Yeah, I was kind of taken aback, like how like nonchalantly they mentioned uh, Talos's wife's uh, passing, because the last time we saw her was in uh, Far From Home, where we find out that she's been like she was impersonating uh, Maria Hill the entire film, along with Talos being uh, you know Nick Fury. With that being said, I liked this moment a lot because it really demonstrated like how close Talos and Fury are. And also at the same time, kind of like setting up the headspace that Fury's in right now. Because after Endgame, like we've only seen Fury a handful of times, right? There, there's We see him mm -hmm. at the end of Endgame, right? And then we see him in Far From Home at the very end of the film where we see him on, you know, the space uh, station, which... You know, which I swear they called sword at the time, but now it's being referred to as saber. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, and that's it, right? That that's that's the last time we yeah. saw Fury. Um, and unless he like shaves or dyes his hair or anything, it, it, I'm trying to figure out where um, the Marvels is going to fit on the timeline. That's that's a very good question. Um, and tone wise, that feels like a completely different universe, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that probably takes place before this. Maybe. <laughs> it's got to be because he's still on the space station, right? Like that trailer opens up with him on the saber, right? Looking at yeah, Miss Marvel. Yeah, it does. Um, I don't know. It would just feel like such a weird tone shift to go from like this series to Marvel's. <laughs> Maybe, but he does come back to Earth in Marvel's as well. So I would assume this would have to be his first time back in in secret invasion i guess i mean <laughs> unless he just didn't contact hill you know in doing so hmm, maybe but i don't know i don't know I, I guess we'll have to wait and see you know but maybe he got some you know just for men and decided to dye up the beard and <laughs> you know like this maybe this show gets him back in the saddle again you know, feeling like the old Nick Fury. So, mm. um, eye patch and all. Also, I don't know about you, but like the way they were talking about Gravik, I was expecting it to actually be like a scroll that we met in uh, Captain Marvel. Um, 
just because they were like, oh, yeah, Gravik, like, you you know that dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, is this one of the scrolls that they arrived on Earth with, you know, originally? <laughs> but that's not the case. This is a brand new character that they're introducing here. Yeah, it's just kind of what they're they're breezing through things to move stuff along, you know, it, that's how that felt to me. I don't know, like I was fine with it, but like at the same time, like just the way that they like mentioned his name felt like it was supposed to be a character we already met or knew. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt like him and Fury like had history together somehow. Um, but I could have just been, you know, reading into things, I guess. In the long run, like you can't really blame Gravik, you know, and his group of scrolls, you know, for being frustrated. I mean, Fury and Carol did promise them 30 fucking years ago that they would yeah. find them a new home. And, you know, since then, they've been pretty much, you know, homeless, like, you know, living on this strange planet. And I'm sure after 30 years of exposure to the human race, they're like, fuck these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they deserve this planet? They <laughs> So, I mean, who could really blame them? With scrolls being immune to radioactivity, he'll debriefs Fury on why the scrolls are hiding out here in Russia in these abandoned nuclear plants. It seems that Gravik plans on bombing a part of Russia to start a war with the United States, which would most likely lead to nuclear holocaust, where only the scrolls would be able to survive on the now nuclear wasted planet. I mean, it's a pretty dark and twisted, you know, plan. Um, but I think what makes it so chilling, it does feel like, you know, something like a terrorist group would try to pull off. It's not some like super powered space laser coming from some random spaceship. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, exists, you know, already on Earth and, you know, and all they really have to do is just manipulate and fan, you know, the pre-existing, you know, fears and tensions, you know, between, you know, the different countries. So, um, like I said, it almost feels like a real plot that could be, you know, hatched by some, you know, whack job terrorist group. I also kind of like that they established that plants from their own homeworld could grow and exist on our planet. So even if they destroy everything, they can just repopulate it the way that their planet used to be. Yeah, no, that that was a cool setup, right? Like, so it makes mm-hmm. sense, like why they would see this as a possibility. Um, you know, that it would be very easy for them, you know, to make Earth their home, you know, once, you know, we're completely wiped out. We cut away to Rhodey in the White House informing the current president that Nick Fury has left Sabre, much to the U.S. government's surprise. Um, Rhodey, having tried to reach out to Fury and Hill and getting nothing in response, has labeled the two of them AWOL, and the president tasks Rhodey with handling the situation. I don't know about you, but I was getting strong scroll vibes from both Rhodey and the president's here. <laughs> I mean, one, we know that the president isn't going to be president for very much longer since we know that, you know, Harrison Ford will be taking over that job, you know, when he stars as Thunderbolt Ross in the upcoming Thunderbolts film. Is it going to be a case of the scrolls doing something to basically cost, you know, the president re-election? Or, you know, are we going to find out that, you know, the president has been a scroll the entire time? <laughs> and when it comes to Rhodey, I just feel like Marvel is you know, looking to have a big reveal, you know, in this series. And what better way to do it than having like an Avenger actually end up being a scroll? Mm-hmm. I mean, how long ago did that actually take place? Who knows? But 
it would definitely be something to get like people talking. I mean, if it's the case, I hope they show it like happening maybe after the events of Iron Man 2, or maybe even if they wanted to be funny, make it so that when Don Cheadle took over the role, <laughs> that's when he became a scroll. <laughs> and people just didn't notice that was a completely different uh -huh. person. <laughs> it's like, you're the worst scroll in the world. You don't even look like <laughs> Rhodey. What the hell? Um, and how stupid are these humans? Um, but yeah, I don't think they'll go that far back, but maybe as like far back as like civil war, you know, when, uh, Rhodey got seriously injured, I mean, he would be incredibly vulnerable at that point. So, um, what better time to like replace, him? I mean, in the beginning of this episode, they set up that like this plot has been taking place over 10 years. So that means this conspiracy has been happening before the blip, um, so you would think that, you know, the scrolls would absolutely be trying to infiltrate the Avengers. So it only makes sense. We then see Fury hit the streets of Moscow and we get a sequence of Fury people watching as he notices which people specifically notice him and which do not, especially a child that seems to run into him on the street. But while doing so, a van suddenly scoops Fury up, bringing him to the British Embassy, where the leader of the MI6, Sonya, greets him. Pleasantries between Fury and Sonya don't last long, as Sonya is still not too pleased with the way things went down in Spider-Man Far From Home when Mysterio attacked the city using drones. Fury questions Sonya on what she knows about the current situation, but she's less than willing to answer him as she believes he's out of his depth to take on this threat. So I believe Sonya is supposed to be somehow related to one of the Howling Commandos. Um, uh, I think uh, the character that ends up being Union Jack in the comics. But this is absolutely oh, okay. the first time, you know, we've met her in the MCU. Um, you know, but she does exist in the comic books, I believe. I thought her and uh, Fury had great chemistry on screen. Um, you know, Fury absolutely was looking to get captured here. At the same time, I feel like she totally also knows that Fury planted a camera in her office <laughs> because I can't imagine it'd be that easy to like tap, you know, one of the leaders of the MI6. I mean, it's Nick Fury, you know, that's, that's, that's the only reasoning you need. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't even like hide it well either. Right? Like it's no, it is kind of an obvious position. Right? Like right on the owl's eye. Come on. Meanwhile, a scroll approaches Gates somewhere in Moscow, stating a clear code word to the guards that he is looking for home in his own skin. This is when we meet up with Talos's daughter Gaia, who introduces the scroll to their hideout at a once abandoned nuclear plant. Inside, we see scrolls in and out of their shape-shifted forms, as apparently only warriors must remain in their human disguise. Gaia then goes to an area for soldiers only as a new recruit gets his first shell, aka shape-shifting disguise. There they have a bunch of humans trapped in some form of stasis as this recruit takes the new face and then scans his brain for their memories. Now I'm wondering like how much of their memories they actually get. I know in the comics um, during the Secret Invasion series, like one of the breakthroughs that the scrolls have and why they became such a threat was be I believe they like figured out technology to actually like convince like the scrolls to actually believe that they're the person that they're impersonating. Um, but it was a much bigger process than what we see here. It was kind of like their way of like setting up all these like sleeper cells around, you know, Earth. There was even a situation with the original Captain Marvel um, 
you know, who was at that point long dead. Um, but they had a scroll impersonating him, but the scroll didn't realize that, you know, he wasn't Captain Marvel until like the very end of, you know, the event. Speaking of which, uh, this past week, I saw all these like headlines about how the MCU told the director of this series not to go back and read the original Secret Invasion books. Um, I don't know, man. It, it just kind of felt like phony outrage because honestly, like there's not much con like connecting this series with the comic book. Um, you know, it seems like they're leading to the same place, you know, with the establishment of like the Thunderbolts, um, which in the comics really was the like Dark Avengers because the Thunderbolts already existed. But I'm not going to mm -hmm. take a deep dive into that. You know, I, I've yes. talked about it on the podcast before, but, you know, basically you get, you know, the bad guys in charge, um, which feels like where we're going with the Thunderbolts film, you know, coming up in like the next couple of years. Um, but other than that, like there's not a lot of connective tissue happening here. So, like, that comic was very much a big, like, summer blockbuster type story that involved tons of superheroes, where this is much more like a grounded spy thriller. So, mm -hmm. I could totally understand why Foggy would be like, there's no reason to, you know, <laughs> take a deep dive into those books. And honestly, like, they kind of, like, I don't know, didn't stick the landing. So, it is what it is. So I will say, I was a little disappointed they didn't go a little bit darker here in this scene just because I was expecting them to kill the people after they take their minds. <laughs> I know in the comics there's a reason behind that. I don't know if like the effects of the memory implants eventually wear off so they have to like redo mm. it again or something like that. But they did have like a built-in excuse on why they just didn't like kill all the heroes once they replaced them. So gotcha. I'm sure it's probably more of the same here. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. 
And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. Fury and crew then spy on Sonya thanks to a camera that he hid on a statue in her office where she speaks with a politician about an artist that is also a bombs expert in Moscow who they believe will be making the bombs for the scrolls. Fury plans to intercept this bombs maker, but Talos is a little reluctant to hurt the potential MI6 agents who will also be trying to get to the bomb maker. Fury explains Sonya will do everything in her power to wipe out all threats, including innocent scrolls in her way, and that Talos may have to get his hands a little dirty to protect his own people. At the scroll base, Gravik is informed of Fury's return. Gravik then gives Gaia a mission to collect bombs from the artists in Moscow. Meanwhile, Fury and Talos make their way to the same bombs maker, but have to take down some MI6 agents in their way beforehand. Inside the building though, Gaia makes a quick trade with the artist, but gets spotted outside by Hill who begins to pursue her. Inside, Talos and Fury interrogate the artist who does his best to lie to Fury, but that's just not possible. After lying twice, Talos begins attacking the artist, which after withstanding the first blow, Talos realizes he is a scroll, nullifying Talos' strength advantage here. But Talos doesn't want you know, his fellow scroll to be killed and tries to take him down without Fury's involvement. Unfortunately, Fury decides to literally pull the trigger and guns down the artist, much to Talos' dismay. It did feel like Talos was kind of taken aback on like how strong uh, the scroll was. So I'm wondering if it's like it, like this is the beginning of like the realization that like some of these scrolls are actually like super scrolls or the like they're somehow mm. enhanced because there's a moment actually where we see, I believe, Gralic, um doing the whole like Mr. Fantastic stretchy arm deal. Um, you know, which the original Super Scroll in the comic books actually emulates all the Fantastic Four's powers. So um, I'm guessing we're going to see, you know, probably some Super Scroll action in this series. I'm also wondering if uh, there's going to be a moment where Talos has kind of a, you know, crisis of faith here and might want to turn against, you know, Fury and his plans or go his own way in general uh, just because of the amount of innocent people dying. Well, I could definitely see him like contemplating like whose side he should be on and like have his doubts i don't know with the possibility of like a nuclear holocaust you know <laughs> being at stake here i i don't imagine talos walking away um you know from this situation or like turning on the humans like i could see him having some resentment towards fury and mm. like you know like some kind of confrontation happening between the two um like you know dude what the fuck right <laughs> but at the same time at the end of the day i can't imagine him wanting to watch the earth burn you know along with the human race all it takes is one bad day dude i mean it'd be quite a twist if he was actually the one behind everything <laughs> 
but oh, yes. I don't know. I don't foresee that happening. We then cut over to Hill, who's following Gaia into an abandoned train area, where Gaia then gets the better of Hill, knocking her down. But Talos catches up, however, only to find that it's his daughter on this mission. Saddened, Talos asks for the bombs, claiming her mother would have been disappointed to see where she is. Gaia, having left before her mother's actual passing, is shocked to learn that she died, as Talos explains that Soren's last words were to go find Gaia. Talos tries to get in close, but Gaia still decides to run, crying in anguish of her mother's passing. Amelia Clark is such a great actress. Like, you know, she did a lot with very little here. Um, even while, like, trying to stay strong, you know, during this confrontation with her dad, you could see the impact, you know, of this news, like, really affecting, you know, her, um, you know, to the point where, like, you, you know, she's almost running, you know, not just, like, to get away from her dad, but also because she doesn't want to show, you know, her pain, um, you know, to her father and her, you know, being vulnerable. After the failed mission, Fury meets up with Hill at a bar, in which she begins to grill him on his real reason for returning to Earth. Hill explains that she didn't actually reach out to Fury on her own, she did it because of Talos, as she believes that Fury isn't ready for this mission, that the man who was always three steps ahead of everyone just isn't here anymore. She continues by telling him to watch his footing, otherwise someone is going to get hurt. Once again, this was a moment where I was like, oh man, it's just awesome to have Maria in this series. <laughs> you know, someone to like, you know, call out fury and his bullshit <laughs> little did i know that last line the last line didn't like immediately send red flags no because i was like oh i'm pretty sure i see her throughout like the multiple trailers that they showed little did i know that was just some editor performing some movie magic i mean i don't know man i was excited for some maria what can i say now at this point we've heard three different occasions of people you know telling fury you've changed since the blip is there a chance and this is just wild speculation uh is there a chance that when he came back it wasn't fury <laughs> i it was a scroll i think they want you to believe that you know uh -huh. but i feel like it's probably a red herring um i think there's probably some kind of backstory that we're gonna find out you know where Fury lost someone or something happened that just completely like devastated him. And that's why he ends up taking his sabbatical, um, you know, underneath the guise of, you know, establishing Saber. Um, but, you know, people who are close to him, like Talos and, you know, Maria, you know, know better than that, you know, that something else is going on or something else has happened. Mm -hmm. But Fury's the kind of guy to play his cards like close to his vest. So, you know, he's obviously not going to show any kind of weakness, you know, even to his like, you know, closest like confidants. So, um, but I'm sure we'll probably see that story play out here. Or, I mean, just like you said, maybe he's just a fucking scroll. I don't know. <laughs> the night before Gravik's big attack, Fury remembers being dusted. Meanwhile, Gaia brings the bombs to Gravik's men, but is hesitant to go through with their plan. So afterwards, she actually goes and meets up with Talos to warn him and give him a way to spot the packs carrying the bombs. The day of the attack, Fury and crew use their glasses to track the infrared sprayed packs into an event going on in Moscow. But as Talos and Hill chase after the packs, Fury takes a step back surveying the square and happens to notice a similar child holding a colorful ball from the night before. Fury follows the child through the square who begins shape-shifting into other people Fury has actually interacted with since landing here in Moscow, which all leads to the unveiling that it was Gravik all along. 
Talos and Hill discover that the packs that they were chasing after were also decoys, but it's all too late. Graphic sets off the bombs blowing up the square with hundreds of people so, inside. So, like, are you 100% sure that, like, Gaia set up her dad here? Or do we think that, you know, she was manipulated also? Um, I don't know, you know, because, I mean, that sequence is so quick. And, like, she just shows up and starts helping out her dad all of a sudden. I mean, she definitely seemed guilty and seemed like she wasn't interested in going through with the plan after learning that her mother died. But, you know, it's it, it's one of those shows where that could have been anyone. That could have been anyone going to go see Talos. There. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like they're trying to imply that she, you know, double-crossed her dad. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not exactly, you know, if everything's not exactly what it seems, obviously, because once again, it is a show about scrolls, so... In the confusion and chaos, Gravik pretends to be Fury, which Maria Hill doesn't realize as she approaches him and then gets shot down, only to bleed out before the actual Fury can do anything to help her as our episode comes to a close. Well, like I said, I definitely didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not, like, outraged like half the internet is, you know, over Maria's death. Um, I'm just disappointed. But I get it. Like, you want to add stakes to what's going on here um so i'm okay with characters dying as long as it actually ends up like meaning something in the long run uh i mean marvel was cold as fuck though here like in the credits they made sure to put like you know special guest uh, uh, -huh. the, uh, uh what's her name <laughs> the actress's name like uh colby smolders yeah it's like oh shit um that just made it feel more like final right like uh -huh. Now with like Fury's inner circle shrinking, um, there's no doubt this is like a Nick Fury solo series. Because at this point, like who can he fucking trust besides Talos? Um, yeah. I well, obviously Quake's going to show up and, you know, she's going to be a big part of the show. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like as a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like I would love that. I mean, you could do a whole, like, Secret Warriors, like, storyline. Um, I mean, and hell, bring fucking Agent May with her, too, right? Like, but I don't know. Like, tone-wise, that doesn't necessarily feel like a fit. No. I wonder if we'll get, like, a moment, speaking of, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where, like, one of the scrolls, like, shapeshift into, like, Agent Coulson just to, like, taunt, <laughs> you know, Fury. <laughs> I think uh -huh. that'd be pretty fucking amazing. I could totally see Gravik doing that. Like, I love this sequence, by the way, with him going from, like, the, you know, each person that he's run into on the streets and such, um, and then blowing everything up. I thought that was really well Cause done. Because it feels like, speaking of taunting, it feels like he was taunting Fury the entire time, mm -hmm. like, knowing what he was going to do. It really just, like, you know, demonstrated, like, what you know, Fury's up against here. This guy isn't just trying to find a home for, you know, his race. You know, he, he's trying to hurt Fury. Like, this was done with malice. Um, mm -hmm. So I 100% agree. Like, I thought this was an amazing sequence. But I will say, after watching it again, I started to realize that, like, Gravik and Gaia never really interacted throughout the episode. And it really started to make me wonder if there's a chance that Gaia actually is Gravik and in control of everything. I was really starting to get like Talia al Ghul at, at the end of Dark Knight Rises vibes for some for some reason there at the end. That's a pretty damn good theory because you're right. Like they don't actually interact, right? There's a middleman mm -hmm. and you know when he gives uh her the orders, right? Um in the camp. Yeah. Um and that might have been done 
just, you know, for the optics of it all, like she's trying to keep that secret right in front of everyone else. Um, at the same time, though, like she is taken aback by the death of her mother. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I like the theory. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that she is kind of caught off guard by her mom's death, you know, feels like that would kind of poke holes in that idea. But unless it's the pain of guilt, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's what's fun with a show like this, right? Like, uh -huh. I mean, anyone could be the villain at any, you know, exactly. given moment. So, I mean, it could be fucking Nick Fury for all we know or Talos. For that matter so um, yes uh, you know, that's that's why i love deep spy shit and that's what we're getting here um you know i love the vibe of this entire you know first episode it, it felt very akin to like winter soldier which is exactly what i wanted and even though like we said in the beginning it felt like they were kind of moving a little too quickly through some like major plot points um i do feel like by the end like i I did enjoy like the pacing of the episode because like I, I never felt like it was too like exposition heavy um you know they they told everything in an organic enough way where it kept everything flowing well um mm -hmm. and like I said like I, at this point you know after how many like Disney plus series we've gotten from Marvel like I'm very aware of our episode counts <laughs> so I can appreciate them like, you know, moving at, you know, a faster pace to get a lot done as long as they're, you know, utilizing their time. Well, I mean, yeah, overall, I'm going to enjoy the tone of the show and I hope that it, like, I hope it sticks to this. It doesn't like get, you know, too wild with its, you know, story in the end. There's always that one episode though, where we're like, what the fuck were they thinking? Like, why, Yeah. why did we need this <laughs> subplot? Or like, we wasted way too much time here. Like even uh -huh. with the Star Wars series, there, there always seems to be that one fucking episode where we're like, man, I wish we could have had that one back. Like, <laughs> But either way, like I said up front, I wouldn't have minded if this show was like maybe an episode or two episodes longer just so that they could have built a little bit more of the tension behind, you know, the fact that there's scrolls everywhere. Yeah, like, like I said, a flashback montage or something like that, mm -hmm. like give us like an extra 10 minutes to kind of like, you know, show exactly like the effect they've had, you know, on the human race over the past decade, like, you know, seeing their plan kind of come into fruition um, and just how terrifying that would be. Like, I could totally understand why, like, Disney wouldn't want to open up the series like that um, with a bunch of like terrorist attacks. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that would have really like, you know, heightened the tension, um, you know, especially for the, like the final scene of this episode. But all right, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode two of Secret Invasion. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. 
It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So you would think following the Summer Games Fest, gaming news would probably slow down a bit, but no, Nintendo hit us with a massive June Direct with a bunch of surprise announcements. One of the biggest being a brand new 2D side-scroller Super Mario Bros. Wonder that really feels like a genuine new experience for the classic franchise with a variety of new animations and twists on the typical experience that while still keeping that Mario charm, still felt new enough to warrant its own title. The Wonder Flower itself really seems to amp up the world as all types of objects that, you know, for the most part have been stationary in previous games are now literally coming to life. You'll be able to experience this new title on the Switch this year on October 20th. That wasn't all for Mario fans as people that may have been fans of the SNES Super Mario RPG were in for a shock with the announcement of an official remake with all new paint for the classic game as Mario and friends take on the Smitty gang to try and repair Star Road. The game comes to Switch on November 17th of this year. And if that wasn't enough Mario for you, then you're probably listening to the wrong report right now because Nintendo hit us with a remaster of Luigi's Mansion 2 that will be coming to the Switch along with a new Peach-focused game that should be coming out in 2024. So a whole lot of Mario coming for the rest of this year and probably for the rest of time. But another game that really took me by surprise um, was the official announcement for Detective Pikachu 2, with Pikachu sounding like a grizzled old cop. The game's story you know, is said to get into the origins of Detective Pikachu as you play as Tim Goodman and Detective Pikachu solving crimes across Rhyme City. I think it would be pretty hilarious if this game got super dark and was like more of a Law & Order SVU type of story. I can't stop thinking about the potential of that kind of game now with the Pokemon, but whatever. Um, anyway, this comes out on October 6th. Um, we also got another look at Sonic's new game, um, Sonic Superstars, which was shown off. But as I said during the presentation at the Summer Games Fest, this is just kind of looking bland for me. Um, the art style and animation just feels kind of weird. It's it's hard to explain really. When I see it, you know, compared to old um, 
Sonic games, this doesn't seem to stand out at all, especially compared to old 2D Sonic games. Like it really feels like they're trying to bring Sonic into that more Mario art style, but it's just not working for me. But if you feel different, make sure to let me know on social media at Amazing Nerd Live. Um, there were several other announcements like Ar like all the Arkham games finally coming to Switch and more, but I feel like those were probably more the heavy hitters of this event. Outside of the Nintendo Direct this week, um, we got the sad news of Game Pass getting its inevitable price hike. Um, Game Pass Ultimate, which I'm subscribed to, will go up from $15 a month now to $17 a month, while the base Game Pass is only going up a dollar to $11 a month. While this isn't a massive game changer, I won't be surprised that in the next few years, we start to see you know, Game Pass reaching you know, $20 a month, uh, especially to combat some of its own revenue issues as Game Pass is costing Xbox a pretty penny. You know, It just makes sense that they're gonna continue to raise it up, similar to what we've gotten with Netflix over the years in general. But those are my gaming stories for this week. Um, outside of that, streaming-wise, we're probably going to you know, be mixing things up a little bit this weekend, um, as I didn't really get a chance to stream this past one. So while I'll be getting back into you know, more um, Jedi Survivor, expect some you know demos to be thrown in as well as there's a couple i want to try out before this steam next fest is officially over this weekend along with uh possibly doing a bonus stream with some friends over as well um next weekend my goal is to go live with um, AEW fight forever for its release and you know everything i've seen of that from people getting hands-on with it um just makes the game look incredibly fun like it's just going to be spot fests and fucking just comedy so i'm definitely excited to get into that one but all right with that said let's go ahead and move on to some actual wrestling do you know what if he's not gonna come out i'm gonna stomp ishii's face in oh boy he's not joking dancing stop playing oh, everything they do listen to this those coin drops can mean only one thing it's the rainmaker kazuchika okada all right, Christian. So unfortunately, this week we don't have tons of time for our usual AEW, you know, wrestling segment. Uh, but before we go, we did want to go ahead and at least give our predictions for this weekend's uh, Forbidden Door pay per view. Um, but quickly, uh, any thoughts on the premiere episode of Collision, which took place uh, this past weekend? I was overall uh, pretty impressed by the overall design of the show. Um, I thought it like looked really cool and it separated itself enough from Dynamite to really know that it was a separate but still you know part of the AEW brand. Yeah, no, I, I definitely liked the production. Um, it almost felt like an upgrade, honestly. Like just mm -hmm. I don't know, like the lighting and like the stage. Um, and I don't know if it's just more of a case of Dynamite feeling a little stale, like visually lately, even though they just also changed their set. Mm -hmm. um, but this felt almost bigger somehow. I also loved the pacing of the show. It felt a lot less like frantic and like, I don't know, chaotic. <laughs> like they're actually allowing segments to breathe, you know, for the audience to actually like register what the fuck's going on. Where, you know, juxtaposition, we got this past week's Dynamite, which was just, like, jam-packed. Um, you know, Tony just trying to get, like, way too much done in, like, too short of a period of time. Um, 
yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy Collision, you know, at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think overall, like, my biggest highlight was, you know, obviously Punk's, you know, opening promo. He's absolutely going heel. Oh, yeah. Uh, regardless of, like, how I feel about all of the backstage drama and everything like that, it was definitely nice to have him back. Um, because the guy is just ultra talented and, you know, he's captivating on the mic. There's no fucking denying that. Um, you know, and just seeing that smirk and knowing that a heel turn is probably in the future. Um, you know, you could even say that, you know, this was a heel promo. Um, mm. I don't know, man. I, I'm just excited to see what's in store for us. Hopefully, you know, it doesn't all just blow up in our faces, you know, at the, <laughs> you know, by the time Forbidden Door is over. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, I think the future's bright, you know, when it comes to AEW right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I fear when I hear like speeches like, you know, I have, I've, you know, I just came back from injury and I have, you know, you know, so much more left to do. It's like I'm, I'm I feel like that's like just asking for something bad to happen yes, again. Yes, yes, I could you hear know, attendance popping as he was speaking. I was uh -huh. like, oh shit! It's like, slow down, old man. <laughs> I know what it's like to be in your mid forties, right? Mm. Um, I, 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 but match of the night, like Andrade and fucking Buddy, like holy shit! Oh that was yeah, amazing. I was surprised that it ended with the uh, figure five figure or whatever eight. figure eight. Yeah. Why? Why? Why um, is that? I just figured like um, the, he would just win with his own finisher. Like I, I like I thought it was just going to be an homage, you know, to well, their relationship, uh, but not finisher yeah. and mm -hmm. everything so i right before I that, that was yeah. awesome storytelling i enjoyed it like and like the, the fact mm. that they were working on both of their injuries and everything throughout the match and everything and buddy was selling his ass off because i legitimately at first when he uh came off the top rope and started work you know selling his knee like i thought it was legit at first um but then like once he like quickly like jumped up and you know hit a oh yeah i was like okay <laughs> he's not actually hurt but then he went back to selling i just thought they did a really mm. great job of like telling the story that they wanted to tell and it was just a fantastic way to like reintroduce uh andrade to the aw audience once again they like let things breathe like it within the match um you know but you know they were able to tell the story that they wanted to tell um and i thought it was just a great like you know reintroduction for the audience to andrade but at the same time just reminding the audience how great fucking buddy is um because i feel like he does get kind of lost in the shuffle with the house of black and everything mm. uh my only real complaint about collision is just the uh opening song uh, i felt like it 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 should be a remix or something oh, I loved it. that works no. better with the video. I, it felt like it was just placed on top. Oh, I, it I, felt I weird. Know. I was fine with it. You're not gonna remix fucking I Elton love, John. I love Elton John, but give me <laughs> how like, dare some sound you effects or something, <laughs> something maybe like an impact sound from the fighting on screen. I don't I know. I thought it fit perfectly. I don't know. It made it feel bigger to me. You know, like having that know, felt weird. Uh, it's a generation thing, Christian. I mean, not every fucking song needs to have like some weird techno beat behind it. It's okay. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for wrestling, it felt weird. Like it just felt like they like someone put together this you know video display and then just put the song. There was no like. Isn't that what happens with intros? To I mean, that's exactly what happens. There's more thought process. Whatever. There is. We, we have forbidden door to talk about. Anyway. <laughs> it all fit anyway. Anyway, let's let's get into the now. These, of course, aren't in order yet. But, but first, I have Adam Cole versus Tom Lawler. Filthy Tom. Um, yeah, uh, that's a rampage spoiler. But actually, this episode comes out on Saturday. So, if, you know, by the time this episode drops, you'll already know what happens on rampage. Uh, MJF comes out, 
you know, berates Ann Cole and then, you know, basically says that I found a challenger for you. It's filthy Tom Lawler, who has been working on New Japan Strong. So um, gotcha. he's an awesome wrestler and it should be a fantastic match. But obviously, Adam Cole's going over here quickly. Uh, the blind uh, tag team tournament, whatever the fuck they're calling it, Eliminator Terminator. Yeah, blind Eliminator tag team, what whatever. What the fuck? You're like... <laughs> <laughs> it's basically WCW's Battle Bowl, which was a horrible idea back then. So I have no idea why Tony would want to bring it back. Um, you know, everyone was kind of speculating that that would actually be what it is. But like, I, you know, in the past when he's used the term eliminator, usually it's a number one contenders match where like, you know, the person has to beat the actual champion to get like a you know championship match which i fucking hate uh but that isn't the case here this is basically like them putting together teams and then having a fucking tournament i guess so basically it's like all these like makeshift teams um you know it's all underneath the premise of like you know can they coexist um and you know i feel like already like AEW's shown their hand by having the first team be Adam Cole and MJF, who are currently feuding. So, like, you know, you know, right up front, like they're gonna win the whole fucking thing, you know, and get the championship match, and then everything's gonna explode in their face, and you know, it's gonna lead to you know Adam Cole finally getting another you know championship opportunity against MJF. So, I mean. I get it. You got like three months to fill before like the next pay-per-view, but it doesn't make it any more like entertaining at the end of the day. Um, it's just, it feels like another excuse to stretch things out. So I just, I just wish they were being a little more creative because I feel like it's to the detriment of the tag division um, at the same time, because I feel like, you know, there's plenty of great stories you can tell with all those fantastic tag teams you have you know, on your roster. Um, and instead, you're sacrificing them for the, you know, mm -hmm. world title storyline. So whatever. I swear if I see Matt Hardy and Ethan Page get like teamed up in this thing. <laughs> That's totally happening. <laughs> God. Um, up next, we had Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale for the AEW Women's World Championship. Um, man, I I wish Willow was gonna win here. Um, I feel like AEW hasn't really like capitalized on the momentum of her, you know, winning the New Japan Strong title. Um, mm. but I guess they weren't really planning for that. Um, exactly. <laughs> so you can't really blame them. But, you know, I, I'm glad that Willow Elise is getting a pay-per-view match out of it. Uh, but Tony's totally Yeah, cool. I, I, there's no reason to take it off of Tony just yet, anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. Um, but now watch, Willow's totally going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would be, you know, thrilled because she's fantastic. And, you know, I was really hoping, like, you know, with her winning that title that, you know, this would, you know, lead to, like, big things for her in AEW. Um, and I love the fact that they actually got the rights to like show the footage mm -hmm. of like Mercedes and hers match. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I just don't feel like, you know, it's in the cards right now for her to be champion one day though, for sure. Oh, absolutely. It's just storyline wise. It doesn't make any sense right now. Um, we had the 
We also have the fatal four-way match for the AEW International Championship between Orange Cassidy, Zack Sabre Jr., Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. I'm going to say Orange, you know, retains. Um, I think Daniel Garcia is, you know, in the match simply as the fall guy. Um, it's incredibly talented, though, and I think it's going to be a fun four-way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Garcia is eating this pin. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's going to be an awesome match. At this point, I'm just wondering who's going to be the one to take the title off of Cassidy and like how, how much longer are they going to run that storyline? At this point, it's going to be a big deal, whoever it mm-hmm. is. I mean, honestly, at this point, I feel like, you know, the international belts. Am I even saying it right? Christian? Yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like it's more esteemed than uh, the TNT title. Right. For like, sure. Yeah. I mean, that thing's like been hot potato for the like the last, you know year at least so i don't think anyone's holding over like 90 days at this point i mean fucking wardlow dropped it again at, on collision yes. which we didn't even talk about because it just at this point i mean i'm not surprised um i mean i'm i'm excited for luchasaurus but i mean or should i say christian <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty much acting like he single-handedly won the fucking uh-huh. belt, which i thought was amazing uh but yeah no i i mean man just too much like stop and start with Wardlow, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we also have CM Punk versus Satoshi um, Kojima. That's going to be in the first round match for the men's Owen Hart Cup. This was totally like so matter of factly, like they didn't make this like into a big deal or anything. No, nope. like, we didn't get like a big graphic for it. Like they were literally just names on the fucking brackets. And that was it. Um, really strange. So like, I guess the rumor is this was very last minute. Mm. Um, originally punk was supposed to face off against Kenta, but like for some reason that all fell through. Um, so I guess this was all kind of like plan B. Um, I still feel like they should have at least, you know, added some pomp and circumstance to this. Like this was, you know, also like for the Owen Hart, you know, tournament. Mm. So, you know, announcing these brackets should have been a fucking big deal. Instead of doing a segment with fucking Tony Giovanni pulling bingo balls out of, you know, the little basket, <laughs> like uh. you could have fucking had him announcing the tournament and like give us some fucking graphics and everything. Cause that whole segment made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Not to keep on, you know, beating a dead horse, but I was like, so he's pulling out like the names, but he's not going to even bother announcing him. Like, what's the point of the fucking segment? Then? There was no point. <laughs> it was very odd. Yes. Yes. Uh, Punk's going to win this, but I don't know about the whole tournament. Uh, I got I got to think that the favorites right now are uh, Punk and Powerhouse Hobbs. I think Hobbs is on the other side of the bracket, right? I could see Hobbs beating Ricky. Right. And there'll be a fun rematch from the feud last year. Uh, and then you've got Punk versus Hobbs. Um, and, you know, Punk has expressed in the past, like wanting to, like, you know, have a do a program with Hobbs. So, um, you know, this might lead into something bigger, you know, for them feud wise. And we know that Hobbs is supposed to actually be like a collision guy now. Now, who else is it actually in the tournament, Christian? Other than CM Punk and Satoshi, we have Samoa Joe, Roderick Strong, um, Dustin Rhodes, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and Juice Robinson. Yeah, I'm sticking with my picks of uh, Hobbs and uh, 
punk unless by that point like punk has gone full heel then i could see it being like starks and punk all right back on to the forbidden door card we have a 10-man tag match between the blackpool combat club uh, which will feature moxley wheeler yuda claudio along with Takeshita and shooter um, going up against the elite which will feature hangman um, adam page matt jackson nick jackson eddie kingston and ishii yeah i mean kingston's kind of shoehorned in here um Storyline-wise, it really doesn't make much sense, no. especially with him, like, cutting promos saying he doesn't respect or like the elite. Um, but, you know, his hatred, you know, for Claudio outweighs his hatred for the elite, I guess. I was like, Apparently. Okay. <laughs> what about your friendship with Moxley? I guess that doesn't really matter that much. I, I think they're really trying to play that up, um, which is fine. Um, but you could tell that this match was kind of just, like, you know, thrown together to get all these guys on the card. Because, um, I mean... I, as of like Tuesday, I was like, none of the elite had matches and none of the, you know, BCC had matches. So um, I, I knew something, you know, had to be, mm-hmm. you know, put together. Um, and I guess this is what they came up with, which I mean, it's going to be one hell of a match. But I don't know if it really feels much like a Forbidden Door match at the end of the day. But at the same time, it doesn't really feel like much of a Forbidden Door match to me. But it is what it is. Winning wise, I I could see Kingston if they wanted to play it up. Kingston possibly costing the elite the match, but I, I don't. I can't see a clear cut winner. I feel like it could go either way. Yeah, um, the elite got the last win, so I could see the BCC you know picking up the mm-hmm. win here because we're definitely heading towards you know blood and guts. Yeah, um, it's just you know when and where. It's going to happen at this point. Up next, we have a six-man tag team match between Les Suzuki, God- Suzuki Gods, uh, which will feature Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki going up against Sting, Darby Allin, and to be announced, another wrestler, probably most likely from New Japan. Yeah, you would think, right? Um, a lot of people were all of a sudden like, speculating it's going to be Goldberg. I was like, no. No. Listen, <laughs> even though I, I don't want to fucking see that, there are rumors out there. Um, that, you know, AEW is in talks with Goldberg and, you know, Tony's hinted at that, no. I guess. Um, I know, I know. I don't want to see that either. Like I fucking hated Goldberg in 1998. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm not a Goldberg fan whatsoever, but at the, I do want to say like, if they do have Goldberg on a pay-per-view, you better believe they're going to fucking advertise that Goldberg's going to be on the fucking pay-per-view. I may be promotional like Mel practice if they didn't fucking advertise Goldberg. Um, so I don't think it's Goldberg. Um, I don't know, like maybe like Naito, like, cause like once again, like he's not on this car mm-hmm. and he wasn't in, uh, on last year's forbidden door. And that just feels like a huge oversight. Um, so you would think that they would want to include him if they can, you know, in some shape, form or fashion. And he would be a big, deal you know yeah for, for the audience so it's a good foil for suzuki and probably would work very well with darby allen yeah no 100 100 but anyway i'm gonna say stings you know group is gonna yeah. win at the end of the day i mean guevara and jericho are clearly you know on their way to a program so i'm assuming the tensions will just grow in this match up next i have our world championship match for the AEW title between mjf and hiroshi tanahashi tanahashi all the way what <laughs> no mjf yeah I mean, there's no way <laughs> so i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty disappointed with this match um like 
if anyone's going to be going after the world title, I was hoping for like Shingo or, you know, Naito or someone like that going after the belt. But I'm guessing at this point in Tanahashi's career, like, you know, he's someone that New Japan's willing to allow to like take a pin. Um, You know, he's a big enough name where he still matters, but at the same time, it's okay if he loses where I could see them wanting to protect like Naito or, or Shingo for that matter. So it is what it is. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing like Max and <laughs> Tanahashi though, you know, interact. Um, that should be fun. You know, I, I'm guessing not to go back a match, but Hiromu hasn't been, is, isn't injured right now. Right? No, no, no. And that, I mean, it could be Hiromu. I could see that as the surprise, uh, member of Sting's crew. Yeah. yeah. And I think like he'd be a good fit, right? At least he had a bunch of like wild and crazy guys over uh-huh. on Sting's team, you know, <laughs> with Darby and Sting, whatever. At so, least I mean, tease, yeah. you know, a potential feud with Darby Allen. That's all I want. <laughs> um, but yeah, MJF wins all the way. Um, after this, oh, yeah. we have Sonata going up against Jungle Boy Jack Perry with Hook at his side for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, no, Sonata's going over here. I think it'll be a very good match, though. Um, I think they'll tease Jungle Boy's heel turn, which is obviously coming, but I don't think they'll actually pull the trigger just yet. Mm -hmm. I think that's the sole reason why Hook's out there, you know, seconding, you know, Jungle Boy. Um, So, but yeah, no, it should be a fantastic match. And then last for our title matches, we have the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship between Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. This is going to be a hell of a match. Um, you know, after Wrestle Kingdom, people are already saying that, like, they had match of the year already in mm-hmm. the bag. And that was, like, early January. So, um, and I guarantee you they saved a lot for this match, um, knowing that, you know, this was coming. So, um, I could see this possibly even, like, outdoing what they did at Wrestle Kingdom. Um you know, because both guys are so talented and they're smart enough workers to know, you know, how to put together like a trilogy of matches. And that I'm guaranteeing that's what this is going to end up being, you know, because I could see them also, you know, wrestling at, you know, Wembley. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Will is going to win here. Yes. Um, and then we get the, you know, the rubber match at uh, Wembley. Exactly. I mean, especially with the amount of titles not changing hands throughout this, this seems like the obvious one to do. If you wanted yeah. to, you know, have someone else win a title on this one. Now, does Will win in Wembley also? Does like Kenny kind of like pass the torch uh, to Will? I mean, I could see that. Um I he's totally deserving of the win over Omega, so I know, but is Tony Khan willing to have, you know, someone who's not under contract <laughs> beat his like, you know, you know, number one, number two star in the company twice in a row. <laughs> That's um, the question. I feel like Tony is a big enough mark that he could be a big enough fan of Ospreys <laughs> to let it happen. You know, I don't know. Unless he just feels like it won't hurt Kenny at yeah. the end of the day. And he feels like it's what's best for business, especially with Wembley being in, you know, Ospreys home country. Um, it pro- it might be good for business, obviously, to make that huge moment for everyone because they're going to be a thousand percent behind Will. But that's down the line. I, I'm 
I'm going to go with Will, you know, for Forbidden Door. All right. For our last match here, we have Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada. So, yeah, I mean, this match is going to fucking go hard. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to say Okada wins. Brian doesn't give a shit about winning anymore. No, he just wants to have good matches. And yes, Okada will always win everything, right? (laughs) He's definitely, you know, New Japan's top star. Mm -hmm. Even with Sonata walking around with that belt, we all know it's really just Okada's and he's, you know, (laughs) keeping it warm for him. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go Okada, but I feel like this is going to be the match of the night, if not the match of the year when all is said and done. Um, I'm really looking forward to this match. I mean, it's a dream match. I mean, there's no denying that it's a dream mm-hmm. match. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, you honestly didn't really need much else on this card besides <laughs> Brian versus Okada. So, um, like four years ago, like we didn't think this match was even fucking possible. So, I mean, this is just awesome booking and I'm super excited for this match. Like, I won't lie, I was a little annoyed that it was a, just like a random, you know, segment for the main event for AEW this week. Because I was just like, why why not end it with a match? But I, I get it. It's Okada, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they did. Didn't they do something similar booking-wise last year? Before, like, for the go-home show for uh, Forbidden Door? I wouldn't be surprised. Because I remember, like, Okada coming out and it being kind of a surprise. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought that's what they did, but maybe I'm wrong. Right. Uh, join us next week as we talk the aftermath of Forbidden Door and see if our predictions were right. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show first, and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time.